a brief word about our scripture for the next four Sundays. I will admit to having selected these readings both today and in the coming three weeks, knowing the season that we would be sitting in as a church this day. And yet what is fascinating to me is that just as I selected these scriptures, in a way, I also did not. Each of the verses that we will build our worship and time together around are verses that were prescribed many years ago through an ecumenical tool, if you will, that is called the Revised Common Lectionary. This is a grouping of scriptures that churches of many different traditions and indeed churches around the world center their worship on each Sunday. And so these verses are ones that in some ways I have been surprised by because as I went to them for the coming four weeks, I found that perhaps God knew what God was doing when God led that group of people long ago to put these stories down on these Sundays. Each Sunday we will center our hearts on a different word. Next Sunday we will consider the word blessing. What is blessing? And how does it work in our lives? On the 20th we will consider the word surprise and perhaps be surprised by the fact that in God's wisdom surprise doesn't always work how we expect. And then finally, on the 27th, we will consider the word gratitude. But today, we begin appropriately enough with the topic that I just visited with our younger saints about, the word calling. Let us listen once more for God's word as we hear then these verses that come from the prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter, beginning with the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah says, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe, it filled the whole temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds, they shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. 
Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now that it would alight upon our lips and that it would rest upon our hearts. That through its work, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, admittedly, there is a lot about this story that is awfully hard to relate to. Take your pick. Six-winged seraphim, an earthquake, smoke-filled sanctuary. Anyone? How about the lips being cauterized with a hot stone? Is that something we have familiarity with? Even the voice, the voice of God calling out from on high. Whenever I read stories like this one, I think of a friend who I have been visiting with periodically now for years, and our conversation always begins the same way. Alan, I'm still waiting still waiting for God's voice to answer all my questions. I mean, when was the last time any of us experienced most anything that is listed here in Isaiah's vision from long ago? But the funny thing is, if we scratch just a little, if we scratch beneath the surface of this text only a hair I think we might be surprised that, in fact, there is a lot that is relatable to our lives and to our world right here in this story. And right at the top of that list, for me at least, is the fact that the world outside the temple walls that Isaiah occupies here in chapter 6 And the world right inside the walls of Isaiah's own heart. The world as he knows it, it has been turned upside down. In the year King Uzziah died. That's how this passage opens up, isn't it? In the year King Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was a real king, a real person who lived in a real place during a real time. There's archaeological evidence, there are other texts that speak of this king of Judah named Isaiah some 700 or so years before the time of Christ. And by all accounts, Uzziah was a pretty darn good king. His reign was one that was marked by prosperity, not quite at the level of Solomon, but also not too far off. If you recognize that name, it may be because you remember from either Chronicles or Kings that Uzziah later in his life gets in a little bit of trouble with God. His pride eventually catches up to him and he's stricken with leprosy. He abdicates the throne there later in his life to his, thron- his son, rather, but still Uzziah has been this steady, constant 
presence in the background of Judah's history. And now, according to Isaiah, he is dead. His death signals, I think it is fair to say, a shift in leadership, if you will. The Pandora's box of unknowns, both for Isaiah, but also for his neighbors, it has been open completely, and now outcome flowing all of these questions, all of these unknowns, right? There is a healthy, healthy dose of uncertainty and even anxiety, both in Isaiah's heart, but also in his nation. But it's not just outside the walls, is it? Because Isaiah himself here in this story is changed completely. He comes to church one way and he leaves completely different. He answers this call and his life from this point forward is irrevocably changed. Everything, everything in this story is in flux. But there is one thing. There's one thing that is present, that is constant, that is steady, right? Reality as Isaiah, reality as we even may know it is on its head here, but God, well, God is still God, isn't he? Right? God is presented in this text as being huge, God, according to Isaiah, is not just one holy. God is holy, holy, holy. God, we are told here, sits high on this throne. Think of this imagery. Just a fragment of the train of God's robe, according to Isaiah. It fills the entire temple. And even more amazing than that is that this God deigns to stoop down into the flux into all of that unknown, into all of that messiness that his world has been thrown into in order to have a conversation. But even more than that, in order to call, to call someone like him. Sinful and broken Isaiah. Woe to me, God, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's into all of that change that God, God deigns to stoop down to call someone like us. Right? There's so much in this story that feels foreign, but it may not be as foreign as we think. Because the reality is that God's bigness, it is all around us. Even now. And sometimes, sometimes it is only when the world is turned upside down, when someone comes along and drops a boulder into the lake that is our lives. Sometimes it's only in moments like that that God finally gets our attention and we notice. There was a moment last week in this worship service. It came during the offertory. I know some of you were here, perhaps some were watching online at home, and I hate to tell those who only saw it online, but the screen just doesn't do it justice. 
The children came forward here on the steps and along with our adult choir, they sang this arrangement of Jesus Loves Me. It was an arrangement, actually, we didn't talk about this last week, but it was put together by Glenn Pride, who was the former director of music many years ago for our church. Rhonda came and tapped me on the shoulder right before worship. I was sitting right over here, and she said, you know, you should really go down and watch when they sing so you can see the boys. Now, of course, you know now, as I stepped out, my world was tilting a little bit off balance. And I knew that, that, that the world of this church, at least, would tilt a little soon as well. And I stood right over there, and I watched, and I listened, and I told Rhonda and, and the staff afterwards, and I know how cliche this sounds, but it's the only language I've really been able to find to capture it. It was like the voice of angels. It was literally one of the most beautiful things I can ever remember hearing in my life. This whole space was suddenly filled with God's glory. With Jesus' love, you might even say. And I swear, looking back now, as I stood right there, it was almost as if I could feel the hem of God's garment brushing by. When we experience God's bigness, I don't know if that's a word or not. When we experience God's almightiness, in a moment like that, when everything just feels a little bit off kilter, when we experience the steady presence of God's love in a moment like that, what left is there to say, but here am I, send me. Friends, here's what I believe to the core of my being. I believe that each and every one of us, each and every person who God has placed on this planet is called to something, right? God deigns to stoop down, we learn in this story, and in many others like it throughout the biblical witness, God deigns to stoop down and work through real people in real times, in real Places God stoops down to work through you and through me and through our life together as the body of Christ. And sometimes, though we may not want it, though we may not have asked for it, sometimes it is only when the ground shakes and when the air becomes a little hazy Sometimes it's only when everything we know suddenly becomes everything we don't. Sometimes it's only when the axis on which our world spins, when it begins to tilt in that new direction, sometimes it's only in moments like that that we begin to finally hear God's call. I don't know. I don't know, but maybe, 
Maybe what Isaiah is offering to us today, maybe what he is offering us is is an invitation. An invitation to consider that, that even in a season like this, that maybe even in a season like this, the one who hears God's call anew is not just the pastor. Maybe the ones who hear God's call anew are all of you. Maybe God is calling you right now in this time and in this space. Maybe God is calling you to raise your hand even though you don't quite know yet what you're raising your hand for. It's funny, if you keep reading past these verses, you find Isaiah raises his hand, here am I, God, send me. And God says, great, let me tell you what you just signed up for. (laughs) And if you read on, there's all this language of land being laid to waste and the nations being desolate. You can feel the lump in Isaiah's throat beginning to form, but still, he goes. Maybe this is a season when God is calling you to raise your hand, to commit, to commit to a person, to commit to a decision, to commit to a church. Maybe this is a season when God is calling you to invite someone new to come and sit by you at a Wednesday night dinner or here in a pew on a Sunday morning. Maybe this is a season when God is calling you to re-engage your prayer life. Friends, pray. Pray in this time. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your staff. Pray for your leaders. Pray for one another. Maybe this is a season when God is calling you to refine your prayer life. Or maybe, maybe it's just a time when God is calling all of us to turn down the volume the volume of all that noise that races through our heads late at night and through our hearts even now, to lower the volume and simply listen, to simply listen for the voice of the Lord. Because, friends, I think if we listen closely enough, if we stand in corners like this one, or in places out in your own life, if you listen, if you listen in a moment like this, you may hear the voice of the Lord. Because even now, God is asking each of us, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.